Dave's Five Hot Takes, yeah! And just like that, here we are back at Dave's Five Hot Takes. So good to have you guys hanging out, uh, talking some more music, chatting music, chatting it up. Uh, it's so fun to have you guys back. I'm excited about this episode. We got some fun things that we're learning, things that are fun to think. <laughs> Can that sort of be? Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, so um, without further ado, let's get this thing started. Hot Take One. Hot take one. This one is really interesting to me. It's 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 as much confusing as it is a hot take. But everybody knows the Supreme songs. Where did I, the Supreme song rather? Where did our love go, baby, baby? Where did our love go? It's too high for me to sing in the real key. Uh, I don't even know what key that was. But something that's tricky about the song is they kind of go for, through like the first half of the first verse. The song sort of doesn't have much of a form because it's kind of the same thing over and over. They just change the lyrics. The melody doesn't really change a whole lot. Um, but one thing that's crazy about it is once the BGVs kick in, the background vocalists kick in, the Supremes, the rest of the Supremes, other than Diana Ross, the Supreme of the Supremes, <laughs> they sing the same line, which is the hook every time. It doesn't matter what Diana's singing. She's singing, baby, baby, you know, don't you ever leave me while she's singing that they're singing, where did our love go? And then every now and then they sing that hook the same and it pays off because they're singing what she's singing. But every other time they're singing, they just sing the hook over it over and over. Where did our love go? while she's singing different lyrics over the same hook at the same time, which is really confusing to me. Yet, it's a huge hit, huge hit. Um, And yet, people just were kind of, I don't know if the guy in the booth was like, listen to me, nobody cares, baby. It's the hook. We got to drive it in. You know, uh, it's really confusing, but I guess it worked. I mean, I didn't even notice. I've known that song my whole life, and I didn't notice till a few weeks ago. I was like, wait a second, are they just continuing to sing the hook over and over no matter what Diane is singing? (laughs) I was like, hey, you know, props to you. It seems to work. They are the Supremes, after all. Hot take two. So I assume most of you guys and gals listening to this podcast know the song Hallelujah by uh, Leonard Cohen, which was kind of first famously covered by Jeff Buckley and then since has been covered with everybody by everybody with a mouth and or legs and a human face, <laughs> it feels like. And rightfully so, that song is one of the greatest songs of all time. I don't know lyrically if you can really beat that song and what Leonard pulled off uh, writing it and, and then hearing Jeff Buckley sing it, who had this angelic voice one of the greatest voices of all time in my opinion um it really found its singer in that in 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 jeff singing it because i think he really translated it into this like ethereal heavenly sounding heartbreaking song um that's just gorgeous but i've always kind of felt like um the song like our generation's um at least sort of version of that kind of song. I'm not saying it replaces Hallelujah because nothing else will. It's too amazing of a song. Is um, Cathedrals by Jump Little Children. And if you guys don't know this song, um, it's made of a lot of the same kind of magic. It's It's not Hallelujah, nothing will ever be. But to me, it's another version of that same magical, mysterious, it's not a love song like Hallelujah is. But it's just this beautiful, ethereal, heavenly, it sounds like an angel in Jay Clifford who wrote and was a lead singer of uh, Jump Little Children, and he's got a gorgeous voice. I mean, he's got that kind of transcendent, angelic, choir meets sadness kind of voice. Um, 
And I remember hearing Cathedral the first time and I thought, this makes me feel like Hallelujah makes me feel. And that's, if there's no other compliment I can give Cathedrals, it's that. And it's just this transcendent, otherworldly song. And I always, I've always grieved that not more people know that song, that it didn't sort of get into the zeitgeist um, like Hallelujah did. And granted, I think one of the things that makes Hallelujah so powerful is it does have the love angle. It's about love in its own way, where the Cathedrals is more about just cathedrals and the beauty of constructing these kind of places, but it has that same feel. And so if you don't know that song, I would highly encourage you to go check out Jump Little Children's Cathedrals. And I think you'll feel those same things, at least versions of those same things, some iteration of that same emotion that you feel with, with, um, with Hallelujah. Um, it's just a beautiful song and I wish more people could cover it and get it out there for people to hear because I think it deserves uh, to be heard because it really is sort of to me like the little brother. Um, it's in that same family tree and the same lineage uh, as Hallelujah. Hot Take 3. So I've got to give credit where credit is due. Nathan Duggar, Nate Duggar, who plays guitar and Drew Holcomb in The Neighbors and is also an incredible songwriter and multi-instrumentalist in his own right, um, told me this one time, and I thought, and I thought, I think this is pretty profound. Um, James Taylor, uh, his guitar playing, which everybody knows is one of his sort of, um, you know, greatest characteristics. I mean, you listen to any of his songs, he's not just playing guitar, he's playing a part. So his guitar playing is never like, oh, it's C, G, D, great, I'll play. He has some way he's playing the guitar that makes these songs um, so much more than what they would be if you're just strumming along to him. And very iconic. I mean, if you know any of his songs, you probably know them. Uh, you could probably sing the guitar parts as much as you could actually sing the, the melodies. It's really amazing. But something that Nathan said that I thought was really profound is if you listen to his thumb on his right hand, so his picking hand, his thumb is always playing the bass drum part on the guitar, meaning the rhythm of his thumb is always the rhythm of the bass drum in the in the drum set. And it's really crazy if you go and listen to James James's songs. I call him James. I'm going to call him James. I'm going to call him James. Uh, but if you listen to JT, can I call that JT? Uh, if you if you listen to his songs, you realize that this is really true a lot of the time, and it's crazy to see that just it, it naturally to him, he's like, okay, this is how this goes, and, and it's not just sort of keeping a pattern; it's keeping a very specific pattern. A great example to me of this is Good Die Young. If you ever listen to boom doodle dee boom boom this the boom the boom boom doo dee boom boom the boom, like he's doom doom doom, and I think it's cool because I think what I, I just have to guess, but Carlos Vega and all these drummers on these records I think they knew that and so they're it's not that they're playing a bass drum pattern and then James is picking up on that I think they're listening to what James is playing and going oh man if I just catch all of his thumb movement I've got my groove right there ready to go and I love that kind of simpatico in the studio when you have players that are really listening to the artists and the artists the players etc and it sort of congeals into this beautiful um uh synchronicity you know where where you think James playing this cool thing, but you actually stop long enough to go, hold on, he's playing the exact bass drum pattern with his thumb. That's so cool. And I'm so glad Nathan pointed that out to me because I already had so much respect for old James, but now it's just through the roof. Hot take four. This is a funny one to me. I don't know the last time you guys and gals listened to Salt and Peppa's Push It. I'm gonna push it. I'm gonna push it. I was listening to it the other day in the car. The Shaker 
on that song. Next time you listen to that song, listen to the shaker. I should probably say, try not to listen to the shaker. It is the loudest instrument in that song by a thousand decibels. It's crazy to me how loud that shaker is. It shouldn't be salt and pepper. It's to be salt and pepper shaker. You know what I'm saying? Salt and pepper shaker. Where you at, JM? Um, it, but it blows my mind. And I think you'll find there's this weird consistency, especially in songs really up into the 2000s, um, like 70s, 80s, 90s, where there would be something in the mix that was just unnervingly loud and you just get used to it growing up you don't think about it like cowbells are bad about that anything that's got really high frequencies tends to really stick out of mixes but you just sort of don't care or you get used to it in a mix and you just think eh, it's whatever but I bet you if you go back and listen to songs from that era 80s 70s 90s whatever it is you're gonna find in some of your favorite songs there was something in the in the mix like a guitar part or like a hi-hat or a cymbal something you're just like good gracious this is making my ears bleed now that you just got totally used to um and I think that's such a fascinating thing and I think listen to push it and you'll be like was this guy trying to join the band like the percussionist to the sample or whatever was triggering the sample because it is so much louder than than salt and pepper Hot Take 5. This last hot take is actually one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to music. I was talking about this with some friends yesterday. Um, And it's this idea that music doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so what do I mean by that? And it's that music doesn't suck. (laughs) You you set them up, I'll knock them down. No, so here's what I mean by that. Music is made because other music was made before it. Um, so many people write songs because they hear a song and then they go, Oh, I want to write a song like that. And they, then they go off to, to write another song. And, and, and what a great, what made me think about this is I don't know if you've seen the movie yesterday. It's such a brilliant idea. It's one of my favorite movie ideas of all time. This guy in England, um, gets knocked out on a bike. He wakes up and he was in a Beatles cover band. He wakes up to a world that doesn't has never had Beatles, the Beatles, the band, the Beatles, yet he knows all the Beatles songs. Now, I've had this dream in my head for years, like what would happen if I woke up in 1971, just like I am now, knowing everything I know now? Could I remember all these songs that would have been hits and made them hits for myself? You know, it's like this. And But the problem with that theory is, and, and to further back up what I'm saying here, I don't know that those songs would have been hits if you release them too early because there's no context for why they worked in the first place. Because the first thought you had is like, oh my God, you should put out Beat It or, you know, like Thriller. But like Thriller only works because Thriller came after other songs that sounded like Thriller so that Thriller had a context to be a hit. You know, you can't wake up at 1971 and go, I'm going to put out Sweet Home Alabama right now. Well, Sweet Home Alabama is only going to work because the songs before it gave it a context to work in the first place. It's very rare songs to sort of drop out of the heavens with no context in their monster hits. Though there are those, there are those anomalies. Now, in this movie yesterday, and this you'll see where I'm going with this, he's he's playing yesterday the song for the first time to his girlfriend and a couple other people, and he gets done, and they're just like, what is this song? Because again, this is a world without the Beatles. And one of the girls says, and it's my favorite line of the movie, that's really good, but it's no cold it's no fix you by Coldplay. And the joke is one that, you know, I think anybody would tell you, including Chris Martin, the lead singer for Coldplay that fix you is no, is, is not in the same stratosphere though. It's a great song as yesterday. And the double joke that I'm speaking to is there would be no fix you by Coldplay if there wasn't yesterday by the Beatles. 
Like, I really believe that. And I think probably everybody involved would say that. And so what's crazy, and then sort of part two of this hot take, it's got an A and B, is that songs exist because of other songs. This is just fascinating to me. There's a, there's a list of Beatles songs my buddy Dustin Ransom turned me on to that, that tells you the songs that inspired the Beatles songs to really prove to you, because I think the Beatles are sort of this archetype of like, where did they write these songs? But there's Bure in E minor. I don't know how you say that. Bure by Bach, which inspired Blackbird. This is all the Beatles admitting to this. Um, I'm talking about you by Chuck, Chuck Berry. Uh, Influence, I think I saw you standing there. And you can go and listen to these songs and go, oh my God. Like that sounds a lot like the Beatles song, which is beautiful. And you know, it, it, Paul McCartney has a great quote about, you know, we're not making anything up. Everybody's always stealing and music. And he's not just talking about the Beatles and I'm misquoting that to death, but there's a really great idea of like, we're all just stealing from each other all the time. And so here's kind of where I'm going about the, with this is music always begets more music. It lives in a continuum that sort of cycles on itself. And I love that. I love the fact that all this music that influenced me, I write, I put out into the world, and then hopefully somebody hears that and influences them, and then they go write more music, and they may have no clue of the music that influenced me. They only know my music, but they write that not knowing that maybe it was influenced by the Indigo Girls or Bonnie Raitt or Stevie Wonder, and so on and so on, iterated down the line times a thousand. And I may never know why I love um, the song that I love by Stevie Wonder, and he may be going, oh man, I heard this song on the radio, and that's what influenced me. I may never know two, you know, two clicks up what that was, but I'm still being influenced by someone I don't even know or a song I don't know. And I love that about music. I love that it's this beautiful sort of mush of, of creativity and color and inspiration and choruses and bridges and major and minor keys that we all get to participate in in our time that feeds it later on down the line. And that is so beautiful and fascinating to me. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that long sort of food chain, if you will. Before I go, a quick heads up here. If you like what you hear, you might like what you see. And if you like what you see, you might like what you hear. I don't know where that's going. So follow me on socials. You can find me under at Dave Barnes Music. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe button or follow the podcast. And rate if that's an option. Because a five-star rating means my wife will finally let me change my name officially to Dave. Man, oh man, oh man, that was fun. Um, one, I don't know that I could have just said that any faster than I just did. But that was really one of my favorite uh, five hot takes. I really enjoyed those takes. Those are fun to talk about. Uh, I hope you guys did too. Um, and you know, as always, I feel like we learned a lot. Uh, but one thing that we didn't learn was that Bread and Fish, the bands, were going to tour together, but were too scared it was going to be mistaken for a Christian show. So they canceled it. So who knew? Uh, thanks, you guys, once again for hanging out, and we'll see you next time on Days Five Hot Takes. Yeah! yeah.